Welcome to Wealth Radio on News Radio KLBJ with author and wealth manager Chris Herline. Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Chris Herline. Good afternoon, everybody. Chris Herline here, 103 p.m. Thanks for joining us today on this beautiful, warm Saturday afternoon. Whether you're working out in the yard or your car, we are live today. You can uh, join us with all your retirement questions, whether it's IRAs, 401ks, taxes, state planning, annuities, Social Security, and more. 512-836-0590. Join me top of the program. As always, tune into News Channel 36 right here in Austin. That's KXAN. Every Monday and Wednesday for TV and the 6 p.m. news hour to stay on top of the latest things there. So a big sigh of relief this week, right? June 15th has passed, and for those of us here in Texas, that was the tax deadline this year because of the winter storm that transpired in February. And, you know, whether it's April 15th or June 15th, you know, there is this sense of relief for so many of you. It's just something we don't like to do, but something, you know, we know comes once a year, every year, and that's paying the tax, man. Today, we're going to discuss a little bit around some misconceptions of how long you should be holding on to your tax returns. We get these questions all the time. I'm going to share you with you a little bit of insight. There are some misconceptions around that. And then I'm also going to fill you guys in today, and I'm excited about this. We're going to take a very deep dive into what's becoming the most critical and, in my, my opinion, most powerful retirement account out there. And it's really starting to gain some steam. And I'm going to share with you today all about this account, but I'm even going to take it a step further and share with you some little-known ways that you can implement this strategy and can make a significant impact on your overall wealth plan. As we dive in here, we are live today. For those of you joining me, 512-836-0590. Tax season passing here. A lot of times people say, well, how long should I hold on to my tax return or tax returns over the years? And I hear people say different amounts of time all the time, and generally it's wrong. Most people think, hey, let's keep our tax return for at least three years and then you can just shred it. And the reason for the three-year answer is that the IRS has up to three years to audit you and assess maybe any additional taxes they think you have due. And so with tax filing deadline just passing, a lot of you just filed your taxes. And a lot of you, you know, you e-file. Some of you probably still stand in line at the post office. But I want to share with you why you may want to consider keeping it longer. So there's an exception to the three-year rule. So the IRS can actually go back six years when more than 25% of income was omitted from a tax return, whether it's mistakenly or purposely. And there's another exception, and there's, there's no statute of limitations when the IRS proves you filed a fraudulent return. Now, 
most of our wealth radio listeners, you you're you're doing things above board, and you know we want to ensure that everything is you know done accordingly. But even without these two exceptions I just mentioned, the three year rule is still wrong. As I mentioned, the three year statute of limitations applies only when you filed an income tax return. So get this, if you didn't file a tax return, well, the statute of limitations never started to run. Most importantly, the statute of limitations applies only when you can prove you filed an income tax return. So now you may be scratching your head, but get this, if the IRS doesn't have a copy of your tax return, it's going to assume that you didn't file one. And it's up to you to prove that you have filed it. Let me give you an example. Somebody that we work with several years back received a letter from the IRS saying that it couldn't find a tax return from one of their businesses from years past. And this individual still didn't know why they were looking for a five-year-old return or whatever that was, somewhere in that range, because of this statute of limitation, right? But here's where it gets interesting. The IRS, they didn't have record of it. So the IRS has received returns for the years before it and had received returns for the years after the missing return. But the letter said that if you filed a return, you should send a copy back to the IRS. Otherwise, they're just going to assume that they never filed. So the statute of limitations, that three-year statute, didn't even start. So this is not the end of the road. But fortunately, this individual had a copy and made a copy and mailed it in. But see, if this individual would have just followed the three-year rule and shredded it or just trashed the file, the soft copy, then it would have been possibly a lot of work to recreate it. And, you know, <laughs> you think, you know, given the, the, the state of the IRS's technology and resources, you think you could just rely on the IRS to have their records in order, Right. Anybody else laughing with me? I find it interesting that when the IRS audits taxpayers, one of the first thing it does is it often asks for a copy of the actual return itself. The IRS generally only keeps it when, you know, transcripts or, you know, things like that are requested. It's easier to ask the taxpayer for a copy than the IRS to try to recover it from storage. And if you mailed in your return, like I said earlier, many of you still mail it in, you can't rely on the USPS to have it delivered. This is why you should retain every tax return you ever filed. And you can scan these things in. in this day and age, it's not hard to, you know, have digital secure files. It's not like you have to have 20 years in a filing cabinet. If you file your return electronically, just generate a PDF file, store it safely. But to be really safe, you should also retain a proof or retain proof that you actually filed the return. That would mean, you know, simply, and this is kind of one-on-one, but, you know, 
keeping a, a signed certified mail receipt that you maybe paid for, or maybe take a screenshot of the webpage where you're electronically filing, or download and save a copy of the confirmation email that you get when you file it. So usually, if, if you're producing a copy of your tax return in a reasonable time, the IRS accepts that proof that you filed it, and then you've got the statute of limitations, the three-year clock. Now, the IRS can ask about the old tax year whenever it wants to, but if an IRS auditor is looking at your return from three years ago, and has record that this return had been filed, well, then you should be safe within that three-year window. So at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do to make sure that you got all your ducks in order. But if you've been going by the three-year rule, it may just be something you want to reconsider for good measure. 512-836-0590. 512-836-0590. You can join me today. We are live. 512-836-0590. Now, we know that taxes are going up. And they're likely going to go up next year under the new administration. And so today, I want to share with you what we believe is the most powerful retirement savings vehicle out there. And it's one that's been grossly underutilized for so many years. I'm not talking about a Roth IRA today. And I'm going to show you the real benefits of how this account can work for you. But then I also want to share with you how this account can be a huge tax bomb for maybe not you so much as your heirs, if they're set to inherit it someday. And so there's some planning, there's some timing, there's things that need to be considered in how you're going to utilize this account, when you're going to utilize it, and how it plays a part of the overall plan. Now, the reason we're going to talk about this today is because, well, everybody knows that taxes are going up. Taxes have to go up. You know, my kids are at an age where they're pretty young. They're learning, you know, English and science and math and, you know, numbers. And you remember when you learned that word infinity as a kid, you're like, wow, it's a big number. Well, when you think about a trillion dollars and the fact that the government's added, you know, four, five, six trillion to the national debt, we know that taxes are going up. And so you want to stay tuned as to why you may not be or should be investing in one of the most powerful tax-free retirement accounts out there. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Chris Herline with Reap Financial. If you're retired or retiring soon, you can now work personally with Chris and his team of fiduciary advisors. Call 512-249-7300 to request a no-commitment tax and retirement analysis. Or you can email chris at wealthradio.com. Live, local, and independent. This is WealthRadio.com with Chris Herline. 
Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512-836-0590. Now back to Chris. Welcome back to the program. Chris Sarline here. So glad to be with you every Saturday, 1 p.m. I am partner at Reap Financial right here in Austin, Texas. We work with successful families just like you and helping protect their wealth, protect their legacy, keep more of their wealth via taxes, make smart decisions about their money, and ultimately protect it from worst-case scenarios like litigation, divorce, and a lot more. On this program, we put your life and money front and center. So today, I want to dive into what I believe is likely one of the most powerful opportunities when it comes to retirement savings that's been so highly underutilized over the years. And this is very relevant from the standpoint that a lot of us are concerned about taxes going up next year. And taxes, we believe, are likely only going to increase in years to come. When we look at the debt in this country, it's hard to believe that on this day in 2008, doesn't seem that long ago, our national debt was $10.2 trillion. So fast forward to today, we are $18 trillion more in debt than we were in 2008. We go back just five years ago. Five years ago on this day, the national debt in this country was $19.6 trillion. And fast forward five years later to today, we're at $28.4 trillion. So we kind of just throw around, you know, oh, we're seeing another trillion dollars added here, another trillion added here. But even you most savvy out there, it's nearly impossible to even get your head around what a trillion dollars really is. A trillion dollars. If you sat down in a room with a trillion dollars sitting on the floor and you pull your calculator out, you put your hat on and you say, okay, let's start counting. And you had the ability to count $1 every single second. How long would it take you to count a trillion dollars? Any guesses? It would take you 31,000 years. 31,000 years to count a trillion dollars. Put that into perspective. Times 28, by the way. Yeah, I think taxes are likely going up and likely only headed up. And so that's why it's so critical that you are making small moves now, not big moves, small moves now, just repositioning things like where you're saving your money, doing things in a way that are going to give you greater control long term. So the most underutilized account that we see in our office is what we call the health savings account. But they're growing exponentially, and not just because I've talked about them for years on this program. I'd like to think that. But more and more people 
are starting to wake up as to why we should utilize this. And not just thinking about it for healthcare, but for tax-free income. Last year, there's more than 30 million people using HSAs. And HSA assets grew by $82.2 billion over the last decade. So, yeah, I think people are waking up to this. And so what I want to do is share with you why this account, if available to you, and a lot of you may not even know if it's available, can offer a significant amount of tax breaks, more so than any account. So as people are waking up, it's not surprising we're, see, we're seeing, I should say, a, a kind of an explosion in the use of these plans. So with an HSA, when you contribute to it, that is going to give you a tax deduction. And, you know, it could be a very meaningful tax deduction, depending on your income, et cetera. And the best news is, is you get a tax deduction for putting money in there regardless of your income. See, a lot of accounts, you may be able to put money in, but you don't get a tax deduction because you're phased out because your income or because you make so much income, you can't put any money in. Well, with an HSA, it's tax deductible regardless if you're making 50000 or $5 million a year. The second tax benefit is the money that you invest in the HSA can grow. It doesn't have to, have to just sit in cash. And this is a, a big problem I see too. A lot of you may have an HSA and you're like, well, the bank I hold it at only offers cash option or money market. Well, you may want to explore a different custodian that could give you better opportunity to invest this money. But when the money's in there, as it's growing, it grows income tax deferred, just like your IRA. So the third tax benefit is the HSA distribution. That's when you go to take the money out, every dollar you put in and the growth could potentially come out untaxed, tax-free, as long as it is used for a qualified expense. And the list of qualified ex expenses out there, guys, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> um, I mean, it, 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 you, you'd be shocked at how many things qualify, from Band-Aids to co-pays to prescriptions to acupuncture, even to, to, to vet bills for your guide dog, if you had a, you know, a, a support dog. But here's even a fourth tax benefit. And those of you that have a 401k at work, those of you that have benefits at work, you need to listen up. This is the fourth tax benefit. If your employer offers an HSA through your company benefits, and they're going to with hold dollars every month or quarter, however you have it set up. So they withhold money from your paycheck and put that portion you've elected into an HSA. You're actually getting a kind of a subliminal tax benefit. And that's because when you're paid, well, you have to pay FICA tax. That's for your social security and Medicare. So when you make an HSA contribution through a salary deferral, 
it reduces your wage for the year. It reduces the wage that's subject to FICA tax. So as this money's flowing into your HSA, it's avoiding FICA taxes. I mean, it can't really get more efficient than this. So maybe this is like sounding too good to be true. And maybe you're going, well, man, I want to jumpstart my HSA. Well, that there's maybe a great way to do that. Maybe you don't have the cash sitting around or maybe you're wondering what I'm talking about here. But get this. An HSA could actually be funded from your traditional IRA, SEP IRA, number of different accounts. So here in, in 2021, for those of you out there single, or maybe you have just a high deductible plan, but your family, the rest of your family or spouse is on a different medical plan. For an individual health insurance plan, you can contribute up to $3,600 in your HSA here in 2021. If you're on a family plan, family coverage plan, you can put up to 7200 in your health savings account this year. And if you're over the age of 55, you get a catch-up, which means you can put more money in it. It's actually an additional $1,000. So for those of you on a family plan, you could put up to $8,200 a year into your HSA. Now, to qualify for an HSA, you have to have a high deductible insurance plan. For an individual, that deductible would need to be about $1,400. For a family, it'd be about $2,800. So still relatively low. But remember, I'm talking about maybe front-loading your HSA through contributing to your HSA from your IRA. Well, remember, when you put money in your IRA, you got a tax deduction. So if you meet the parameters that I just mentioned and qualify for an HSA, you can fund your HSA from your IRA, and it's by using what's called a qualified HSA funding distribution. So in this qualified funding distribution, it allows you to roll funds directly from your IRA to your HSA. And you can do it up to the annual amount. Now you're going, okay, this, this is getting really good. Well, let me just pause. You can only do this one time in your lifetime. So this transfer, this one-time transfer, it's not something we can't do. It's not something you can do every year, of course. This is a once-in-a-lifetime per person limit. So if you have multiple IRAs out there, <laughs> you, you still only get to do one of these in your lifetime. But man, what a wonderful way to jumpstart this. Now, you don't want those dollars coming to you. You want it directly being sent from your IRA to HSA. So work with the custodians to do this right. On the other break, I'm going to share with you why, yes, the HSA can be the most powerful retirement retirement account, but it could also be a substantial tax bomb for your heirs if not left properly. It's one thirty. time for the news.
You're listening to Chris Herline with Reap Financial. If you're retired or retiring soon, you can now work personally with Chris and his team of fiduciary advisors. Call 512-249-7300 to request a no-commitment tax and retirement analysis. Or you can email chris at wealthradio.com. Live, local, and independent. This is WealthRadio.com with Chris Herline. Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512-836-0590. Now back to Chris. Welcome back to the program. It's 134. I am live with you on this warm Saturday afternoon. And uh, thank you for making this party weekend. You can join me, 512-836-0590. We've talked a lot about some upcoming tax policy changes out there and you know, there's not all bad, okay? I mean, a lot of the press is about how taxes are going to, you know, skyrocket and, you know, they're only going to impact the wealthy, but there's also some good changes potentially on the horizon. And with the country in record high debt, and we know a new administration is going to be finding some sort of compromise to get things passed through maybe in the next 12 months very easily, it's so important that you are in front of what could be implemented and what actually could impact you, whether it's good or bad. So what we've done for all Wealth Radio listeners is we've got a great white paper we've just published, and it's the expected tax changes under Biden. And it's free for all of our Wealth Radio listeners. Just email me right now, chris at wealthradio.com, C-H-R-I-S, chris at wealthradio.com. My team will shoot you that via email Monday morning. Chris at WealthRadio.com. Get your hands on it. So just before the break, talking about what I believe is one of the most critical and most powerful wealth planning tools, retirement planning tools, and that is your health savings account. In our last segment, we talked about really not just three tax benefits, but there's a, even a fourth tax benefit that this account gets you. Now, if you're funding this thing, as we talked about, and you've got medical expenses that come up, generally, we, we don't want to really advise that you, you touch those dollars. I mean, you may need to. I mean, our listeners today may be going, well, Chris, why would I put money in an account that's designed for medical, yet when I've got a medical expense, I don't touch it? Well, majority of families we counsel, they've got plenty of wealth in other type of accounts. And so in many cases, especially during your working years, you can pay out of pocket for these things. And by keeping track of these expenses over the years while funding and watching your HSA accumulate, at some point, come retirement or in middle or late retirement, you may want to dip into a tax-free bucket of money. Well, if you've been good about keeping track of your expenses over the years, you're able to go and cut yourself a retroactive reimbursement check for every medical expense that you've had since that HSA was established. So it's not like you got to reimburse yourself in 12 months or 36 months. It could be 30 years. There's no time frame. So it can be an awesome, awesome tax-free income planning tool. But it can also be a huge tax bomb if 
you haven't thought through how this account is going to be used and or who it's going to be left to someday. So with a lot of retirees, if you've been saving in an HSA, chances are you're going to use those costs or use those dollars for medical costs, particularly even in late life. Because if you're a married couple, there's a good chance that between you and your spouse, you could have tens, even hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical or long-term care outlays over your lifetime. And you can use the HSA to pay for those type of things in later life. And so while a lot of you may end up using the majority of your HSA, what happens if a worst case scenario happened? And maybe you hadn't even touched those dollars yet, or maybe you just began touching them. And, you know, you got hit by the bus. How are these accounts going to be left to your spouse or your heirs, your niece and nephews? I mean, oftentimes at work, you know, you've signed up your beneficiaries, you put your designations in, and you haven't looked at them in five, 25 years got to think through the beneficiaries on particular accounts. There's strategy as to what accounts you're going to leave to whether it's charities, whether it's family, whether it's, you know, brothers, sisters, spouses. It is so critical that there's thought put into this because depending on who you leave it to, these accounts can be taxed very little or they can be taxed to death. So when we look at a health savings account in the beneficiaries. Well, let's talk about how doing this incorrectly could mean significant taxes that maybe you weren't planning on paying or maybe your heirs or your estate weren't planning on paying. So with an HSA, if you're married, you can designate a spouse as maybe the primary beneficiary, but you could also designate it to a non-spouse. So a child um, even a trust, even an entity. But let me give you an example here. Let's say Mike has a great HSA account that he's done a phenomenal job saving in. And he names his wife, Kelly, the beneficiary of this HSA. If Mike passes, Kelly is going to be able to basically assume Mike's HSA as her own. And that happens on the date of death. Now, moving forward, Kelly, she can reinvest, divest, rebalance any of the HSA investments that Mike had put together, or she just leave them alone. And when she has a qualified medical expense, she can make a deductible contribution to the HSA and then pull the money out tax-free as long as it's used for a deductible expense. Now, if Kelly maybe inherited this money along with others and really just transferred as a spouse to her, if Mike had any outstanding medical expenses that were unpaid at his death, she could use the HSA to pay for those things, even though he's gone. And those dollars won't be taxed. 
So let's say Kelly inherited this HSA and then Kelly remarries. So fast forward five, 10 years, Kelly remarries. And now Kelly names her new spouse as the HSA primary beneficiary. Now, if Kelly were to pass away before this second spouse, the second spouse, because it was a spouse, inherits the HSA as their own. So the HSA benefits can just keep transferring along, spouse to spouse. So, so far, so good, right? But what if Kelly would have named her daughter as the beneficiary? Maybe when Kelly inherited it from the first spouse, or assumed it, I should say, maybe before she remarried, she named Kelly, or excuse me, her daughter as the primary beneficiary. When she got remarried, maybe she didn't think to you know, change it. Well, in this case, if Kelly passed and the daughter was the beneficiary, on the date of death, that HSA would essentially be transferred to the daughter. And because the daughter is a non-spouse, the remaining dollars in that HSA would have to be distributed. So these inherited dollars that were once tax-free when used for qualified medical became fully taxable at ordinary income tax rates. Now, there's, I mean, there's a very tiny exception to this, and it's just like I had mentioned earlier. Kelly used, you know, or she could use HSA dollars to pay for expenses that were still outstanding from the deceased spouse. Well, the daughter in this case has 12 months to pay for any medical expenses that maybe Kelly had, her mom had, after death. But after 12 months, those dollars have to be completely distributed, assuming there's you know, no outstanding bills. So this creates a significant tax bill because it's all income for the inheritor, the daughter in this case. So if you're considering utilizing an HSA in the way we're discussing, then you need to really think through who the primary and contingent beneficiaries are on this account. And also, you need to consider at what point during your retirement years are you going to start drawing down particular accounts that aren't left tax-favored? Generally, we're just focused on today saving taxes today, what we're invested in today. But when it comes to a well-coordinated wealth and legacy plan, we need to have the in-depth conversations as to who these dollars are going to benefit when you're no longer here. 512-836-0590. Join me today. We still have time for you. We'll be right back. You're listening to Chris Herline with Reap Financial. If you're retired or retiring soon, you can now work personally with Chris and his team of fiduciary advisors. Call 512-249-7300 to request a no-commitment tax and retirement analysis. Or you can email chris at wealthradio.com. 
Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show again. Go to WealthRadio.com and subscribe to have it delivered right to your inbox. Now, back to Wealth Radio on News Radio KLBJ with Chris Herline. We are live today. It's 149, and uh, we welcome you to the show. And you can dial in now with your questions at 512-836-0590. Isaac, let's go to the phone lines. Let's talk to David today, who's got a uh, question around his pension. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Chris. Uh, quick question about pension plan. It's the opposite, I guess, of Social Security. But if I take it pre-65, I get penalized 6% per year. Um for every year prior to 65. Um, so I'll be 59 when I start drawing on it, or is it better to take it from a 401k and wait till that 65 threshold to avoid that penalty? Uh, my understanding, both, both will be treated as ordinary income. Yeah, more than likely, David. So I would tell you that, you know, you look at your investments, the 401k brokerage, anything else you have, and you say, okay, what else am I getting 6% guaranteed growth on? So if you got 6% a year, that's going to be deducted by taking it early, anywhere from, you know, like you said, 59 here to 65, you know, are your other assets keeping up with 6% or more if they're not, whether because you're in cash or a conservative investor, that would be a big consideration there. You may be better off just letting it defer, but that is likely a lifetime pension, isn't it, David? Uh, there's options. Okay. So you haven't elected an option yet, but but it could That's be maybe correct. a 20-year, 10-year, lifetime, joint survivor, yada, yada. Correct. Correct. So with all that being the case, I would take a look at your liquidity and how much do you actually have in your 401k IRAs and all other retirement cash vehicles. Because the last thing we'd want you to do is drain your 401k other assets too quickly because 59 is early retirement. I mean, we got a lot of, lot of years. You could be retired as long as you worked at that age. So we want to make sure that we don't draw down liquid assets, 401ks, IRAs, too quick in deferring the pension because assuming you did for whatever reason, you turn that pension on and now we got, well, let's say you turn it on at 65 to capture that 6% return every year. Well, now for the rest of your life, you're living on maybe much more of a fixed income than you wanted to because you used your liquidity up in the early years. So I think it's a real balance. I would tell you the main thing I would, I would look at it through, David, is a tax lens. If, if you consider your taxes now or when you retire, and you know, assuming you could receive that and be in a lower tax bracket in your early years of retirement, and then later in retirement because of required minimum distributions, or because of you know inflation and the budget's going up, if you're going to be in a higher tax bracket 10 years from now than you are today, and I, and again I know there are things that are subjective and hard to plan for, but you know there's softwares and you know things that we use that can get you that answer. But the bottom line is this: if you could receive a lower pension amount today, even though it's early and you you were slightly penalized, if you could receive a smaller pension today and net more of it in these early years of retirement than you may in later years, that may be your answer right there as to when to turn it on. And the same is true with Social Security for you and all of our listeners, David. This is why we're seeing such a trend change in that people are taking Social Security earlier than they were just years ago because a lot of the strategies are gone and they're going, hey, I can net more of it today, even though it's a smaller check, I can net more, which in turn means more money long term. So that would be my best approach, David. I hope that helps. 
Uh, well, it does. And my thought process was to drain the pension in 10 years before I start receiving Social Security to try to lessen the tax impact on my Social Security. Well, that's that's a great I mean, you're looking at it through the lens that I'm talking about. Right. It's I mean, both are going to be taxed as ordinary income, assuming, you know, your income is higher than thirty two thousand dollars and likely it will be. But the, the thing about a lifetime pension and David, I know you haven't elected yours yet is. It, listen, I'll take the pension any day of the week. That's a great thing to have. Most people don't have them anymore. But it, it does limit your ability to control your tax bracket long-term in retirement. So if you've got a 10-year option versus a lifetime option, could that make sense? Absolutely, depending on what your budget is going to be long-term, how much you have in these other pre-tax accounts. So I think you're down the right path. And uh, again, just factor in the things we're talking about. Work with a fiduciary, your, your tax people, and I think you'll make an educated decision. The last quick question, the pension. Is there any risk? If company A sells to company B, is my pension at risk? Or if company A goes out of business, is my pension at risk? Potentially. I mean, if it's, if it's being if, – if your company has gone out and – you know, engaged a A-rated insurance company to administer these pension dollars through like an immediate annuity um, or a lifetime annuity. You know, chances are if it's being administered by an A-rated insurance company, you ne- you don't really need to worry about it because never in the history of time has an A-rated you know insurance company gone out of business. Now, right, but I'm, I'm sp- talking if I delay to 65 and my, the company I currently work for, if they sell or go bankrupt, is th- is there a risk involved by delaying? and not getting into that insurance company. Yes, if it, if it's if it's being administered by the by the company and it's solely on their shoulders, there is a risk and that's why a lot of people are taking lump sums on their pension or even partial lump sums. That may be an option for you to try to get some of that money in your bank invested as you see fit and that'll help mitigate the risk. So, I would not let that be the only reason that you decide to take it in lump sum or take the 10-year because you're scared they're going to go out of business, but definitely something you need to consider because this is why everybody's getting out of the pension game. The actuaries grossly underestimated and these carriers are trying to buy you out because the companies are trying to buy out your pension because they're going, we can't sustain this long term. So that's something yep. that may come up, too, if there was a buyout that the new company may say, hey, let's buy them out. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate all your time, Chris. Hey, man. Great, great questions and counters. Thank you so much for your listenership. 512-836-0590. You know, just in closing today, we've talked the majority of our hour about, you know, that very, very powerful and strategic health savings account. And so the bottom line is I just want to put a stamp on this. If you're not going to leave your health savings account to a spouse, um, maybe because you're, 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 the chances are you're going to outlive them or you know, you're not married, it's going to be prudent to plan to spend down that health savings account as best you can in a very measured way so that you're not leaving a large tax bomb to the beneficiary, the non-spouse beneficiary. This would also be a great account to consider leaving to charities. So if you have charitable intent and you're planning on leaving some of your money to charity, leave the accounts that go 100% taxable to non-spouse beneficiaries like your kids. See, if you leave cash or brokerage or the house, those beneficiaries get a step up in cost basis, at least under today's law. But they don't get a step up on IRAs and 401ks and HSAs. Those would be the dollars to spend down sooner. Those would be the dollars to leave to the causes you believe in.
been a great show today. There's a lot of concern around the tax changes coming up. We've got a great new white paper for all of our Wealth Radio listeners. It's called The Expected Tax Changes Under Biden. It's free for all of you. Get your hands on it. Chris at WealthRadio.com. Email me right now. Chris at WealthRadio.com. And we'll send that out to you this week at no cost. As always, we thank you for making us part of your weekend. 1 p.m. every Saturday on KLBJ. If you're retired or retiring soon, tune into Wealth Radio every Saturday at 1 p.m. The following program is sponsored by Reap Financial Group, LLC. Investment advisory services provided by Reap Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm. Opinions expressed in this broadcast are provided for information purposes only and may change without prior notice. Information presented should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed and should not be construed in any way as an endorsement or inducement to invest or an offer to buy or sell any securities. The sales content should not be viewed as personalized investment advice. A professional advisor and tax professional should be consulted before making any investment decisions or implementing any of the strategies presented. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and therefore can be no assurance that any specific investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. The tax and estate planning information offered on this program is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The firm only transacts in states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration is not an endorsement of the firm by securities regulators and does not mean that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability.